Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure on postwrestling.com and I'm Martin Bushby and now Andrew this month it's Wrestlemania week of course so Andrew is insanely busy doing a variety of things for the site and then he's also gearing up to head out to Dallas himself but um, he'll be back next month but um, joining me from the Pro Wrestling Torch this month is Will Cooling. Will thanks for joining me this month. Hey yo. Hey, yo, indeed. How are you, mate? How's things going with you? It's been a while since we've uh, we've had a chance to chat on the podcast. Yeah, no, I've, I've been good. I mean, I think, you know what, I think the last time may have been when uh, we did the um, the post uh, all-party parliamentary group report on uh, British Wrestling. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that seems like about three years ago now. <laughs> and by the way, even our cautious, caveated optimism, that didn't get vindicated, did it? No, <laughs> no and it certainly doesn't seem to have, have done so far, does it? But um, At yeah, least some MP, see... MPs got free tickets to New Progress, eh? That's, that's, <laughs> that's the change we really wanted to see. Yeah. <laughs> MPs and the freebies, yeah, yeah, all goes hand in hand. It all makes perfect sense now, doesn't it? But um, I suppose before we get into the show itself, um, we're only four days away from the big uh, live podcast in Leeds this Sunday, April the 3rd. It's going to be a BWE grapple. And up next, can't wait. It's going to be tons of fun. Still tickets left. Grappleapp.com forward slash support. Um, we have the sad news, Will, you're not going to be able to make it up to Leeds, are you? You've got um, other uh, more pressing issues at hand. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, of course I'm boycotting it because you refuse to include the in no way defunct British Wrestling Podcast, the British Wrestling <laughs> Report. Um, but yeah, no, like, um, I changed jobs hey, If you year. can fly Rich Fan over, then we'll definitely have, uh, <laughs> have you two as part of the podcast day. Hey, look. I did have grapple money. Like how they managed to pay for David to come <laughs> over is is between them and, and the inland revenue. I do not have that type of money. Um, but no, like I um I changed jobs recently, so like um and my son is still living in Canada, so I have to go over to Canada a couple of times a year. So basically until he comes back sometime next year, when um, my ex-wife's uh, tour of duty in Alberta ends. Um, I don't think I'm going to go to much wrestling stuff, um, or particularly leave my house, to be honest. Um, so um, <laughs> it would have been great to come. But also what made it even worse was, is um, I am actually going to Canada in April, like 10 days after the show. Mm. I've got my stepson hero for, for, for the Easter holidays. So it was just like, I made this mistake when I went to Canada last year where I let like Grapple and others talk me into going to the big RevPro Manchester show, which was great. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I also spent like over 200 quid uh, between everything involved in getting up there. Um, And I I just, no, we've we've earned less money than I used to. I just can't afford it. I am absolutely gutted. Um, um, not not just because it'd give me a chance to troll the grapple tr- uh, chat in, live in person, <laughs> but it'd be great to see everybody again. 
And it'd be great yeah. to meet you in person because we still haven't met. I know, um, indeed. Well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of like wrestling shows and stuff we can meet up at. It's, it is a massive shame you're not coming, but um, for those that can, you know, it is going to be a, a cracking day. So, yeah, still a chance to if I know, could get come, tickets and I stuff. Abs- if I could come, I absolutely would be there. Um, so I, w- I would strongly advise people uh, to come. And I think the thing as well is, is that, you know, this, 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 there may not be other opportunities. Like I was kind of hoping, expecting there'd be other opportunities, but like with your retirement, with Grapple Gareth stepping away mm. uh, from uh, Spotlight, um, this, this, this may be one and done. Um, so yeah, no, don't, don't make the mistake I'm making. Um, you know, get, get your tickets, get your tickets now. Um, so Alberta, how was that? How are you finding it um, with your trips going o- over there? Yes, I went. Um, so I went back in September. Really freaky thing. So I I arrived in Calgary, and I had to have a, I had to stay over in Calgary for one day because I couldn't get to where my um, son lives. Which is a this is by the way this is a great name for a place, Medicine Hat. What? What a nice name for a town. <laughs> medicine hat. Um, is it medicine? It looks like medicine, but it's wearing a hat. Does medicine wear hats? <laughs> Don't know. Um, yes, I know. Apparently. I know. Hat. I think a hat's like a corruption of hut. Um, but, you know, uh, mm. let's go with medicine wearing a hat. Um, but the day I actually got into medicine hats, there was a wrestling show. There wow. was a local indie wrestling show in Medicine Hat, like Canadian Calgary Pro Wrestling. And there was a part of me for like, for a while, thinking, like, should I go to this wrestling show? And I was like, I'm staying with my ex wife. My ex wife was never particularly keen with me winning off to go to, go to UFC and wrestling <laughs> shows. Me me arriving and then just turning around and going to the wrestling, particularly as it as either I take my son, in which case I'm keeping him up way after his bedtime on a school night, or I'm turning up saying, hey, son, you've not seen me for four months, mm. five months. I'm going to the wrestling now. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I decided not to go and watch mm. indie uh, Canadian wrestling um, on my first day there. But uh, no, no, I mean, Canada is lovely. Um, I, I suppose I have to say that on the, on the post-wrestling network. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it's the thing actually that surprised me is obviously we, we, are, we in Britain are, are, are fully aware of the horror stories about Canadian winters. Um, the thing about going there towards the end of summer and then hearing what my son and my stepson were experiencing during the summer is how great the summers actually are. Mm. Like the kind of the myth that Canada doesn't get much sun is, is, is a myth. You know, it's, you know, Alberta is really far away from the coasts. So for those who don't know how climate works, sea helps moderate temperature. Um, it also makes it a bit crazier. It makes it wetter. Um, which is why we tend to have quite mild winters, but we also have mild summers and there's a lot of rain in both. Whereas in Alberta, particularly Medicine Hat, when I was staying, when it was summer, it was absolutely scorching. 
And even when I was there, which was in September, it was still pretty hot, not a cloud in the sky, never any rain. Um, just, just, just really pleasant. Um, everything's really far apart. Um, the food I thought was a bit disappointing. Um, it's basically the type of things you can get in the, in the UK over than poutine, which is, which is nice. Um, and also Alberta has the law that alcohol can only be bought in alcohol shops. Yeah, it's the same in Toronto as well. I discovered that when I went to, uh, when me and Lisa were there, we went over to uh, the BDE to hang out with uh, Rain and Davy, and we ended up running all over town looking to buy some beer. And we were like, we we're like, oh, surely they sell it in this 7 Eleven. Nope. <laughs> nope. But what that does mean is that it is so easy to get alcohol on delivery. Right. Like, it is insanely <laughs> easy. So like I no I I was I was like and it's also real it's a lot cheaper than the UK so mm. I was basically drowning in Crown Royal whilst I was out there and wow. I was like oh this is really good I didn't have time to get any in duty free going back and I went to look up how much it would cost in the UK and it was like three times as much and I was like ah no I will wait until I go back to Canada oh do, one other thing. Um, yeah, House of Pancakes, amazing. I, I, I had like um, Tim Hortons. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, no, 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 nothing to write home about. But I took me after when I had to go and get my uh, COVID test before flying back. I had to, I had to do it on a Saturday morning. So we we went to have our, my COVID test. After that, I took took my son to uh, go to House of uh, House of Pancakes. And it, it may it may have been the biggest, most decadent meal mm. I've had in my life. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like just got back to my ex-wife's house and like she kind of put me in a downstairs basement area and I just sat in a chair and barely moved for like five hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to uh, check it out next time I'm in Canada. But anyway, um, we're, I, I digress enough of, uh, enough of this Canada talk and on to what we're here to talk about this month, which is um, obviously we all, um, you know, obviously we had, all had the very sad news a couple of weeks ago that Scott Hall had uh, sadly passed away at the age of 63. So for this month, um, compiled a selection of Scott Hall matches to look at from his WF and uh, WCW runs. Um, Try to veer away from the obvious ones. You know, he's a lot of matches with Sean and they won two free key match and stuff. So we've compiled um, compiled um, a good list of five matches. But before we get into that, I mean, as far as your fandom goes, I mean, for me, the first time I watched him was on his uh, WF debut and was a big fan during his Razor Ramon run. But obviously... You know, the main thing that everyone remembers him for is his debut on Nitro and the NWO angle and stuff. And that's going to go down in history books as huge. But um, I mean, what about you, Will? What's your, as far as your fandom of Scott Hall and Razor Ramon and, and the like goes, when did you first discover him? Well, see, this is where I was really keen on doing this show. Because, and I, particularly before Andrew wasn't, wasn't available, because I, I imagine I am somewhere in between you and Andrew. Mm. In the sense of, I think I've talked about this before, I became a fan, again, so I've been a fan early in, early in the 90s, but I became a fan again in 99. Right. So in a weird way, and like May 1999, so in a weird way, I missed all of Scott Hall's prime. 
Now, I miss the new generation. I miss the NWO. Um, so everything about Scott Hall, I I have to have had to experience looking back. Mm-hmm. So like my first memories as a fan is things like him um, and Kevin Nash, um, Arsenal around um, on, well, it was Nitro, but we, I saw it through Worldwide mm-hmm. on Channel 4, uh, Channel 5. When they were Arsenal around in that, uh, that uh, WCW World Title Tournament, yeah, <laughs> where you like you you know you'd have like um, so I think Scott Hall was the Kevin Nash was not allowed to compete, so it's like Scott Hall was in a tournament, so you had Kevin Nash coming out as like the Grand Wizards and stuff mm. like that. It was all very wacky, and then yeah. of course you have the NWO revival at Starcade nineteen ninety nine, which. Um, I mean, it it was old hat when it happened, but it, it still felt like a big deal. Mm. And it was still surprising it disintegrated as quickly as it did. But I remember like getting my power slam um, with a big, you know, uh, double spread photo of Bret Hart with his WCW title and, um, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Jeff Jarrett, you know, all, all beside him. And like you know, draw trying to draw that out, and you know, you know, do do stuff like that. Um, but then, of course, Scott, Scott Hall, he effectively his stint in Major League Wrestling, oh, okay, um, ends <laughs> like two months after that, mm. when because no, allegedly. Because the BCW realized that the racial discrimination case that was um, going through the courts um, meant that having fired Juventud for being a bit for being a bit naughty, they had to fire Scott Hall for also being a being naughty. Mm. Um, and and this is what I was saying on uh, the deep dive when I did a solo podcast a couple of weeks ago. Scott Hall's never really been relevant since then. Um, in a sense, like he's he's popped up. He obviously popped up a bit in WWE, and I remember him coming back for the NWO. Uh, and it'll be interesting after we talk about the matches to talk about that because, uh, like, no, Bruce Pritchard has popped up to say idiotic things as always. <laughs> he pops up a bit in TNA, but like he, ne- but like you compare him to like Kevin Nash. No, Kevin Nash has a real run. Well, he has a real run in like post, you know, post Russo, post uh, Bischoff WCW. Like he has the insiders team uh, with DDP. He obviously has the big, he has the big feuds with Triple H and Shawn Michaels in WWE. You know, he even and like this still doesn't make any sense. He was no. He was brought back to do the the match with CM Punk before he gets injured. No, no, mm. in the 2010s, and of course he has my personal favorite, the stuff of Alex Shelley, which I I do actually think is genuinely good and was generally yeah. very funny. Um, and so like it's weird with Scott Hall because Scott Hall is actually somebody really far in the past, but because of his personal issues and because the wrestling press 
kept covering them. He feels like he never went away. Like, it's not like someone like Goldberg, who was a wrestler, and then he just disappeared, and the wrestling press never covered him until he came back. Scott Hall would there'd always be every month, every other month, every few months, there'd always be a news item in the Observer about something Scott Hall had did. Mm. And so even though he actually, you know, you know, if you're being honest, arguably he stopped being a frontline wrestler when he lost when he uh, dropped he dropped the match to Goldberg in, in February 1999 mm. but he still seemed very important very relevant at the forefront of people's minds especially because he was such a big part of that whole NWO angle and you know and the resurgence mm. of wrestling in the 90s wasn't he and that's why he kept his relevance yeah but but what's interesting as well is is when you look back on what he was good at, he was actually quite an old-fashioned wrestler. Mm. Like his promos aren't the type of promos that that were popularized, uh, particularly by Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, in in the lead-up to Survivor Series '97. Um, the the things he's good at as a wrestler are the things I think most old school people will say, these are the things the kids today don't know. And so like, this, this is where I thought it'd be, it'd be in. Cause when you first suggested to me, I was like, Oh, I'm not sure. Do I know enough about Scott Hall? But I was like, no, actually you're a big fan of Scott Hall. You saw him live. I'm somebody comes just a bit after you. And if we had Andrew, Andrew's obviously younger than the two of us, mm. he would be able to want to come in just like with, no baggage and just coming from it completely fresh. Yeah. Whereas, whereas when I got into wrestling, like this was a, this was like the near history stuff. This is the stuff you were kind of getting videos of and reading up on. Um, and if you don't ever said this, like the first wrestling message board I posted on was um, the old WCW ones. Wow, they they were great. You know, the the the. Um, I think they relaunched it um, in early 2000, but they had great message boards. Mm. Um, no, much better than anything that WWF was uh, putting out similar. Yeah, they did seem in those early days of the of everyone having the internet, sort of like around the states and stuff. WCW did seem to be at the forefront of all the sort of like internet based stuff. Um. So yes, I, I I just think, and I obviously like I got to talk to him, and I, I suppose you, I don't know if you want me to tell you the story about that because it's yeah, because you interviewed him for Fighting Spirit, didn't you? Yeah, and it's it's a classic thing as often happens. As what really year we talking here? Oh my god, um, I might be able to find that. I I want to say something like two thousand and thirteen. Mm. I think. Um, I think it's from like 2013, and it was it was it was it's 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 a quite a funny story actually because it's basically I think somebody else was meant to interview him, and they dropped out, and this was when yeah I think it's definitely 2013 because it's when I was living here, I was when I was when it's after I moved to Wolverhampton, and um. This was this was a this was FSM one hundred, right? The hundredth the hundredth edition of the magazine, and um, 
as somebody who caused Brian Elliott a lot of stress with getting <laughs> things in late, uh, I've never known Brian Elliott to be more stressed. Um, and I, I, he didn't even have an article from me to edit because I think because it was a big issue, they had no no room for my MMA nonsense because <laughs> um, this is back before I was really writing about pro wrestling and mm. my, I was more their UFC writer. So um, I think somebody let Brian down. So he went to me and said, I've got Scott Hall for you to, in- I've got Scott Hall, 20 minutes. You can interview him tonight um, for training ground, which was like um, an interview series um, FSM did. Um, that was geared more about kind of giving advice to aspirant wrestlers or aspirant people in the business. Right. It's like, I said, yeah, 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 I can do that. Um, and it's like, yeah, you got to think of well, what's the, you got to think of the angle for the interview. And I was like, well, the angle will be that he's, tra- he's training his son. Mm. So, um, um, you know, we, we will just talk about how he's training his son and advice he would give to young wrestlers and how he's enjoying, you know, the, what he's doing with his son. And um, that's why, like, when I, I, I dug the interview out to repost when um, Scott Hall died, because I know it's, it's, it's an interesting interview. And, and so much of it is about his son and his hopes, his hopes and dreams for his son's career. Yeah. And I was like, no, this, this, <laughs> this interview has a taste. Well, <laughs> um, don't want to kick Cody Hall that uh, Cody Hall was his, uh, yeah. um, no, Grieving more than his, his dad. Uh, but, but like, no, in terms of talking to him, really, really charming guy. Um, the the thing that people say about his intelligence coming through um, is absolutely true. Um, wrestlers, fighters don't always tend to be particularly articulate people. Mm. Um, they also, unlike boxers, they don't tend to be very media trained. Mm. Um, like I know I've, I've I've interviewed boxers before, and boxers are great. They're just like banging banging out answers because they they used to working for me more media partners yeah. whereas fighters wrestlers they're used to just being like spoon-fed stuff by their promotion whereas scott hall no he 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 could just cover so much stuff and throw in so many interesting things in quite a short space of time um you could tell you could tell like he was again, like I said, like so much of the interview was about his relationship with Cody, and you could tell that he was so invested in um, making up for lost time that you no, know, he felt he had like lost his way and lost touch yeah. with his son, and that this was a chance to kind of rebuild those links and make up for lost time. Um. And you know, know his sense of humor, and it's it's. I mean, it's um, it's 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 probably not the right sentiment to have in you know in 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 twenty twenty two eyes. But you know, he had a he had a joke about uh, how well because he was he was coming to the UK on a tour, and it's like you know, as you know, as 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 me and uh, 
Kevin Nasher on this tour. Um, you know, the fit women can come and talk to me and the fat women can come and talk to Kevin. Um, which I can't give credit to how he delivered it because the way he mm. delivered it, the emphasis was on the friendship with Nash. Mm. Like, that's the one thing that came through. Like, you know, those two were genuine friends, which yeah. was the reason why when WCW tried to have them feud, just didn't work. It's not mm. all the reasons, but it's one of the reasons why that feud didn't work. It was that, you know, everybody could tell it's fake. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, re- really inter- one, of the more, one of the more interesting interviews I, I, I got to do. Um yeah, certainly um, every interview we see him in, and a lot of people say that you know, you know, he's, he was always really articulate, and he was a great interview for most people, I imagine. So yeah, um, but yeah, really interesting that hearing you go through that, and yeah, he certainly sounds like a great guy to, or would have been a great guy to chat to. But um, I suppose we'll get into some of the matches here. Um, it was some that I compiled the uh, matches that I remembered liking, or some that people had recommended to me, and the first one that I had on the list was. Um, Bret Hart against Razor Moe from King of the Ring 1993 um, all the way back in June 13th in Dayton, Ohio of all places because um, this is, um, he's been in WF at this point for just over a year I think he debuted around May 1992 obviously with the infamous Razor Ramon character you know very much taking a lot from Scarface some fun vignettes of him doing his best Tony Montana impression and Obviously, he started out as a heel. He was teaming the likes of Flair to take on Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect at Survivor Series 92. And then even had a, a match prior to this one with Bray, Royal Rumble 93. But I picked this one as I think it's better than their uh, Rumble 93 one. I, f- I feel like, um, you know, Scott was still trying to, you know, figure out the character and find his way in WDF. But I think this is a, a much better match. It's... Um, the opening round of the of the King of the Ring for 1993, the first sort of like pay-per-view that they'd done for King of the Ring. Um, and what, I mean, just before we get into the match, what were your thoughts of uh, the King of the Ring as a, as a concept and a pay-per-view? Um, I always liked the idea of King of the Ring in the sense of it's, it's, a, it's a gimmick. You know, it's a way of changing mm. things up. It's a way of placing more emphasis on mid-carders. Um, I, I think the issues that they had with drawing with the King of the Ring was always because they just didn't give it a good enough main event that if you had the King of the Ring as it was and you just had two good matches that were pre-announced, I think it'd be fine. Um, but do we? Do, I think it'd be fair to say WWF never was able to make it work. It always underperformed on pay-per-view. Mm. Um, just, uh, and like, and, and that's interesting. I mean, I think it shows that actually the mid card, the full card is more important than we sometimes think that people, yeah. even if you do, cause like, you know, like King of Ring 99 had the Austin versus McMahon's match. 98 had um, Undertaker, Mankind, Austin, Kane. Um, uh, you know, it's not as if they haven't put big matches on King of the Ring shows, and yet they always did underperform. Um, mm. So so I think, 
I think it's probably the type of thing that would really work in the um, network era when uh, you know, you know, drawing on pay per view isn't as important. You know, potentially could even do it as a weekend where you do like a no, like like actually the the Triple H tournament we used to be running in the sense of you have your round of you know your your Sweet Sixteen on night one. Then you have your quarterfinals, semifinals, and final on night two. Um, I, I think that could be a really strong two week two two night event for the main roster. They've um, not... tied with bringing it back, haven't they? They've done it on episodes of Raw and things like that, but they've never actually fully gone through with it. Because apparently, according to Bruce Pritchard, Vince is not a fan of tournaments, even though WWF have had tons of tournaments. <laughs> Yeah, but, but I think the reason is is because it, it's um well no actually the bigger the bigger jibe at that for Vince was is WWS first pay per view was a tournament mm. the wrestling classic the WrestleMania four as well so they have got yeah. like history doing tournaments and things like that yeah I think I always liked it as a kid as a concept but I think it had run its course by the time Brock Lesnar. Um, and they did need a bit of a rejig and stuff. And like you said, they did have to put bigger matches on it. You know, it wasn't enough to have this tournament to crown somebody. And I suppose, you know, this was around the time Brett needed something to do while, you know, Hogan was back with the having the title and stuff. So I suppose it was a good concept to have in 1993. But um, as for this opening match, um, it's interesting because Hall comes out to people chanting one, two, three at him. Obviously, this is following that infamous loss to one, two, three kid at um, a recent Monday Night Raw. I mean, this was a huge shock at the time you know a big star like Razor Ramon losing to one two three kids so and obviously the crowd really really picked up on that and um yeah just um just coming over 10 minutes um Brett there was a control earlier on in the match and um, some really good reversals from here but um a lot of the matches are uh, Razor wearing him down only for uh Brett to make the big comeback at the end and get the win and what's interesting watching these older shows I always find Will is how up for the crowd is no matter what the match is, you know, they always seem to like be really, really into the match and everything they do, no matter the smallest thing, especially here with Bret Hart, you know, the crowd like bites on everything, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I think this is true of all these matches. The crowd is electric. They are chanting so loud, um, much higher pitch crowd than we're used to, because I think there's mm. more children, there's probably more women um, because obviously you know, the children have to be accompanied by somebody. Um, yes, the crowd noise is noticeably quite a bit different. Mm. Um, um, in terms of the match, I this is it's funny. Like in terms, I was looking at these through what I thought of, of Scott Hall. And this and the last match we'll talk about are the ones where I wasn't overly impressed with what he was doing. Right. Um, To me, I think the reason why this match is very well regarded is because it's a bit of a Bret Hart clinic. Mm. But the the problem with being a bit of a Bret Hart clinic is he is is clearly treating Scott Hall as a bit of a tree to move around. Like it is very much Bret Hart having a match of himself, and um, it's not. I I don't think it's designed to showcase Scott Hall's strengths. 
it's <clears throat> it's designed to make you think, oh my god, Scott uh, Bret Hart is getting a good match out of Scott Hall, um, and so it's like a lot of grappling, rolling, and there is a robotic quality. <clears throat> to some of the stuff Scott Hall does in the ring, particularly early in his career. Mm. And I think the stuff Bret Hart is asking him to do exaggerates that. I don't think you come away from this thinking, Scott Hall, great wrestler. Oh, really? That's quite a surprise to me. I thought he was. Yes. Um, I thought he played his role well in this one. I, didn't, I wasn't seeing the roboticness but, that you're talking about here. But what is his role? Isn't his role to be the big guy that Bret Hart outworks? Mm. Like, yeah, no, like, it's fine. I'm not saying it's a bad match. What I'm saying is, is some of these later matches, you can pick things out and say, no, Scott Hall's, that's really awesome what he's doing. Whereas Mm. in this, it's like, he's hanging in there with Bret. He's not been embarrassed by Bret. Um, No, he's given it his all. It's, it's, it's stamming them with faint praise. Um, I, 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 I don't. Yeah, to me, this came across as a Bret Mart, a Bret Hart match that was happening around Scott Hall. Mm. I suppose it's an interesting juxtaposition, like you say. There, we are um, still fairly early on in his career here, aren't we? And like I noted, um, you know, as much as I'm, I enjoy the match at Royal Rumble '93, I feel like he's still finding his feet and stuff. And I suppose you sort of like, you know, really made that clear there. Um, with that review, but I suppose moving away from that match and onto um, we're a year later now, um, SummerSlam '94, where he takes on Diesel at the uh, United Center in Chicago on the August twenty on August twenty ninth, and he's um, after obviously his feud with Shawn Michaels over the Intercontinental Title, he's now a face, and obviously Diesel here is on the rise to the top of the WF Title, and you know he's a. Uh, moving away from being Sean's bodyguard and we get teasers of that um, towards the end of the match. And Sean comes out to corner Diesel here and Hall has Walter Payton in his corner. And as, as someone who only got into American football in the early in the early noughties, I was always confused as a kid as to who these people were, these American footballers coming out. But doing some research for this show, it seems that he was um, a former Super Bowl winner with the Chicago Bears. Obviously, they're in Chicago for this show who... Um, Sadly passed away in 1999, so um, pretty big deal here, I think, Will. I mean, it's not like a main event match, but a pretty big deal for all to have the uh, sort of like American football player coming out here to corner him in Chicago, especially for a, a team he used to play for. Um, yeah, no, abs- absolutely. And, I, and then this is, I think this is a match of the ones we, uh, we're looking at where Scott Hall looks the best. I thought he was great in this match. Uh, and mm. the thing, and this will be a trend of, of, of all these middle matches we're talking about, and even the last match to, to a certain extent. I think Scott Hall's selling is next is really, really, yeah. really good. And it's so much better than everybody else in the ring, including Shawn Michaels when he gets involved. Like, he is so naturalistic. He's so believable. Uh, and like, look, Scott Hall's a big guy, and it is always difficult for big guys, big guy wrestlers, to sell in a way that doesn't look goofy. Like, you know, I'm a big Brock Lesnar fan. Brock Lesnar selling eh, always looks a bit goofy. 
Whereas I just think he sold this in such a naturalistic way. It really made Kevin Nash look like a million books. Um, the way um, Hall was selling for him, you know, his off, no, Kevin Nash's offense, which is extremely limited, looked Five great. Moves according to Jim Corner, including <laughs> like putting the hair back. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but like it looked great because of the way Hall was selling it. And like the thing is, that, like this is, <clears throat> he didn't oversell. This was just like, it was just, it was, it was perfect selling. Like, this is the type of match. If you're looking to how you, you sell effectively, you make your opponent look good. This, this is a match you should look at because he he is selling it like it's a fight. You know, the way he cocks his head back, the way Mm. he reaches for himself, um, you know, reaches for his head, the way like he kind of reacts when he's thrown to the ground. It, it is it is so perfectly judged, and it makes everybody else in the ring look like a cartoon character. Like mm-hmm. it's it's really 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 good. Um, now I think one of the things as well that makes this a better match is is I think one of the issues Scott Hall has as a wrestler um, is he 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 never really put it all together in terms of having a good offensive flurry. So, you know, we were, we were, um, make, you know, you were just making fun of Kevin, of, uh, Kevin Nash having five, of five moves. You know, Bret, Bret Hart has the five moves of doom. And people, good wrestlers, good babyface wrestlers, great babyface wrestlers, they can do the selling, which, which got Hall cut, but they can also do the comeback and I think one of the things that makes this match really good is Scott Hall doesn't have to do the comeback because a football player does it for him and Shawn mm. Michaels does it for him. Um, and so you don't get that moment where, like, like Scott Hall, he has worked the crowd into a frenzy with his great selling. And I would imagine if he had to do his comeback, which wasn't the most organic thing, like he had a cool move in the razor's edge, but he didn't necessarily have the moves to build up to it, to set it up. Not the, not the sack of shit, then the uh, the sort of like punches into the what he called the sack of shit when he throws them over his back, sort of thing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but like you know, because you don't have to do that, the crowd is still red hot when the finish mm. comes. Um, the other thing I just want to make um, is. One of the things I'm, I'm a big believer in is when people talk about Vince McMahon's issues today with making baby faces, they tend to confuse new issues, such as how he lumbers them with uncalled gimmicks, how he scripts their promos, you know, yada, 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 with the fact that, that Vince McMahon has always, always wanted baby faces <clears throat> to sell most of the match. Um, you know, you look at someone like Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns didn't work as a baby face because he's not suited to set in a match because he's not a very good, he's not very good at selling. And I think this is a good example of this. You know, you look at the Bret Hart match, even though Bret Hart was a bigger star than Razor Ramon, Razor Ramon took most of that match, even though Bret Hart was doing no, Bret Hart was feeding him 
the King of the Ring match, but Razor Ramon was on offense more than Scott Hall was. In this match, because Scott Hall is now a babyface, now Scott Hall is the one who is selling most of the match because in Vince McMahon's mind, that is what a babyface does. It sounds weird because we're used to Vince McMahon having Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and The Undertaker. But you actually look back at those matches, they are being beaten down Mm. for more of the match than they're not. It was actually WCW, the NWA, that would have baby faces like the Road Warriors, like Goldberg, um, where the the joy, the thrill, no, Sid Vicious, the joy, the thrill was that they could beat up the smaller guys better mm-hmm. than anybody else. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought this was a really fun match, and I think it showed Scott Hall as his best. It is, and it's also one that I'd forgotten about until, like, I was, you know, doing a shout-out, sort of, like, Scott Hall deep cuts. And I think, also, I'm not, like, a big interference guy, but I feel like, you know, obviously, Peyton didn't get too involved in the match, and Sean was big enough for him for a lot of it, but I thought those two played their roles really well and stuff. And, obviously, um, this is, you know, I'm assuming, sort of, like, 93 is the early formation of the click, so, obviously, yeah, they're all trying to make each other look, you know, the best so they can all sort of like be the top guys i'm assuming i'm assuming at this point well yes but this is the thing though is like you look at how kevin nash sells the um his groin going into the ring post mm. this is the most comical hilarious thing <laughs> like it's like do you know um the scrubs episode where they have the pain charts mm. and it's like you know like he is like the 10 on the pain chart it is so over the top you mentioned Sean, it has to be said. Oh my god, Sean is gorgeous in this match. I mean, like <laughs> he he is a very sexy man and he is he is dressing to accentuate that. How WWF ever thought he looking like that, dressing like that, had any legs as a baby face, I will never ever know. <laughs> well, we are, yeah, Sean's best days was as a heel, that's for sure. But um yeah, and obviously we get the um, the ending is um, Sean going for the super kick, but obviously uh, Razor removing out of the way and um, Diesel eating the sweet chin music, uh, which we see in this next match, which is one that I've got to confess I'd never I'd never seen before. We've got one, two, three kid and Razor Ramon taking on Shawn Michaels and Diesel. This is a full blown click match here. Um, from Action Zone from the 30th of October in 1994. I mean, in the, in the early I, 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 IWC, this was like a legendary match. Right. Because um, Scott Keith, Net Cop, he, I think this was a match he gave five stars or certainly four, four, four and a half plus. Mm. And like this, this was one that he really bigged up as like a must see match that you would not believe this match. Everyone's working hard. Everyone's doing great stuff. So yeah, so I I, ne- I never got around to seeing it either. But like, yeah, to let this is a one of those legendary matches that um, was just thrown on a, like a, a new TV show for whatever reason. Yeah, because Action Zone was um, a WWF program. I think it only lasted from about ninety four to ninety six, and then was replaced by Superstars. But yeah, I mean, I can totally see at the time you know, people losing their minds because a lot of these matches you have got to view with the eyes of sort of like 
watching it in, in that time, I think. But this is it is a brilliant match. I mean, 20 minutes crowd, you know, as we know before, is really hot for this. I mean, super fast for the time. I mean, we're used to these sort of like scramble tornado tag matches now. But, you know, we've got one, two, three kid flying all over the place. Razor using kid as a weapon, throwing him at Sean. You know, I mean, it slows a bit in the middle as, you know, you know, Diesel gets his offense in as they build up for a hot tag from Razor to Kid, but the rest really, really fast for the time and even starts like a tornado tag with Sean, you know, nearly getting beat in the first minute with a Razor's edge, you know, and uh, then obviously we go back to the finish being Diesel, you know, uh, accidentally getting super kicked by Sean again, you know, teasing their, uh, their dissension, but so much fun. I mean, if you've never seen this, I don't think it's on the network, just Google it, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. I also found it hilarious that... Um, when Diesel does get um, super kicked by Shawn Michaels, you know, he sells it like he's been killed. He's down for about uh, five minutes, isn't it? Just completely out cold. And it's like, you think, you know, the kickouts from finishers these days and he gets one Shawn finisher and he's out for the count for about five minutes. But yeah, really, really enjoyable match. I mean, it even like holds up today, I think. Yeah, no, I I, 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 I think this is at least three and a half, three and a three, three and three quarter stars maybe even four, even now. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's that perfect pitch between the modern style and the old style in the sense of that there is a bit more credibility to the work. One of the things we didn't say about the previous match is Scott Hall could throw a good punch. He could really, he could really throw a nice looking punch. Um, and he could do a really nice tight lockup as well, um, which is weird, weird stuff to think of somebody who you don't think of as an old school wrestler, but he could really do that those fundamentals well. And this this is a really fun match. Um, I think the shows this is kind of like match zero of the outsiders in the sense of. You see why Hall was should have became a great tag team wrestler in a sense of he's so good as a guy building up to hot tag, even when it's somebody mm. you know that lower status than him at like the one two three kid, because again because he's so good at selling because he can do the hope spots because it hides the fact that he doesn't have a great finish and sequence like he's he's he is kind of the glue that holds this match together because one two three kid isn't really in it that much no um presumably because sean and um and nash don't want to sell don't want to have to sell for him that much um and you know nash is nash so yeah no it's mostly nash and sean beating up razor Razor making comebacks, one, two, three kid cheap shot him. But it's, it's, pay, it's the thing is, it's compared to most mid 90s, early 90s wrestling. This is done at a really fast clip. It's a very fast paced match. And I think this, it's one of the things we really underestimate in wrestling. I, I am. Um, me and Rich on the deep dive recently, we well, last week, we went through some old Triple H matches. Well, I should say, I went through some old Triple H matches, talk about Triple H to Rich. And I, in, in quick succession, I watch Triple H versus Foley from Royal Rumble 2000, 
the Taco and Jericho matches from that year. And I watched Triple H Batista from 2005, mm. a match that I remember loving just as much as I remember loving Foley Triple H when I watched it live. Mm. And the Triple H Batista match, when you watch it straight up one after another, oh my God, Triple H is moving so slow. He's so mm. ponderous, doesn't keep your interest. This match, on the other hand, is bang, 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 bang. It is so fast paced. And, um, and like and the you thing say, is you've got to remember when you're watching it, you, you, this is WWF in 1994, you know what I mean? This is the same year where we have Undertaker against Undertaker, you know, uh, for SummerSlam <laughs> and, and stuff, you know, and, and this match. And you just know they've gone, all right, this is a new show and blah, 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 and all this. We'll just go out there and like have the match of the night. And I mean, yeah, it really, really stands up. Like I said, it's interesting watching it with today's eyes because you're so used to these tag team matches, you know, that are so fast-paced, you know, Young Bucks and Lucha Brothers and the like. But yeah, this is like, it's just unreal thinking about it from the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I I mean, we'll talk about this more with the outsiders, but it's just like, you know, people forget this, but the, the mid-90s were a real dark age for tag team wrestling. Like mm. When I got back into wrestling in 99, one of the first issues of Pro Wrestling Illustrated I got was talking about how uh, maybe this is a new golden era for tag teams because like WCW had just brought back their tag belts after not having them for a while mm. and WWF was starting to do a bit more with their tag belts. And it's just like the great tag matches were still there, but like they weren't being booked and regular tag teams weren't being booked and... Yeah, we could have got a much better tag scene um, in um, in the mid-90s than we did. And it could have drawn money if mm. the powers that be wanted it to. Yeah, because I suppose moving on to, um, you know, on to WCW now and all's career in WCW... Um, you know, because I've got to say, it's pretty slim pickings from when he when he does move to WCW. I mean, fair to say he's involved in many great angles and moments, but as far as matches go, there's only a few, I'd say, Will Lee can really pick out from uh, Scott Hall's WCW career. Yeah, and I think I think that's right, and I think it's it goes back <clears throat> it goes back to the um, the issues we mentioned. One, because he was the most given the bestseller of the click, which then transitions in to being the most given, the most the bestseller of the NWO. He often wasn't placed in a position to be the star of matches. He was mm. often the workhorse of matches. And then unfortunately, you now obviously his his demons take over because you know if you're the workhorse of a team, if your performances start to dim as um, the extracurricular activities take their toll, there's not necessarily a way to hide you, to hide, to hide the, mm. the limitations you have. I mean, one of the things I was thinking of with Scott Hall was his promo style. Obviously a great promo. No, no, his... Memorial Day weekend promo in uh, 1996 is one of the most impactful, important promos in wrestling history. It's a very old fashioned style of promo. It's not mm. the type of promo we're used to now. No, I, I can't think of a Scott Hall promo that was long, 
um, or that was hate-filled. You know, Scott Hall did not have grudge matches. He did not have grudge feuds. Didn't really suit his character. Didn't really suit his style. He would come out and he would do promos about what he was thinking about, making fun of his opponents, making fun of the situation, or just selling his gimmick. Um, Mm. And that really went away. First of all, when, as I said, like the likes of Sean, the likes of Brett, I suppose Stone Cold Steve Austin the year before with some of the stuff he was doing against Bret Hart, popularized the long long monologue that really expanded about why you hated somebody. Then, Then you kind of had that bloat as wrestling shows got longer. But Scott Hall, I stumbled, if you want somebody to do a three-minute, four-minute promo to get a point of view across to hype up a match, he could do it. But he didn't necessarily have many of uh, emotional level, levels to go. Hmm. Like, I mean, am I wrong? Can, can you think of a... Could I say Jake, Jake the Snake who I kind of think is a bit similar to Scott Hall in the sense of a guy who completely nailed his character, but doesn't necessarily have the long promos that you would expect because that just wasn't the style of the time. But Jake the Snake does have angles such as like the attack on Randy Savage with the snake. He does have some of the the promos against the Undertaker or Randy Savage where he does get that extra level, it does become, there's a bit of needle. I don't think Scott Hall could ever really bring that out in himself, where mm. you he made you believe he hated somebody. Yeah. I suppose, well, I, I suppose, just like you say, that wasn't really his style, was it? I suppose that his style was, like you said, you know, it was more like, you know, short promos and things like that, but it would have been interesting to see. I, I'm sure someone can correct us, perhaps there is a, Scott Hall promo or sort of like storyline there where it does come across like that. Yeah. Mm. I suppose moving on to the match, um, we're um, Outsiders against Hall and Pete from Halloween Havoc 96, October 27th in Vegas. So this is NWO angles only just started. It's only been going a short time at this point. Um, It's not really overstated. It's welcome like it would do. And Nation Hall went through the crowd and, you know, this is very early NWO. We don't even get Hall doing the survey at the start or anything. Hall and Heat, the tag champs here. And Hall and Nash seemed fairly motivated for this one, you know, and I'd say it's like an enjoyable uh, three-star match if I was going to put, like, star ratings on it. Lots of back and forth between the team. I think um, it's fairly hard-hitting for the time. You know, we've got Sherry Martell on the outside doing, you know, a usual Sherry stick of, you know, distracting him. And then, you know, the typical wrestler thing of Hall kissing her and stuff. And then um, the outsiders picking up the tag belts, which they seem to hold for uh, for quite a while. And I think, like um, you noted earlier about, you know, hopefully the 90s being, you know, a big bright spot for the tag divisions and it just seemed in WCW that the outsiders held the belts for a, a long time and didn't do a great deal with them. But um as far as the match goes, yeah, I mean as far as like Hall's um 
WCW career goes, there's this and then the match after this. And then I think like um, the Goldberg um, 99 ladder match and then a couple of others that are sort of like a noteworthy from Hall's uh, wrestling career in WCW. Well, I, I think the thing, the sad thing is they found the perfect role for him and they found the perfect role for Nash, which is they should just been a tag team together forever. Like, I mean, this is the thing. Like, when the NWO broke up, which it should have done after Starcade 97, it should have been a feud between the Outsiders and the Mega Powers. You know, you should mm. have had, you know, Nash and Hall go up against um, Hogan and Savage and, you know, probably lead to a Hogan-Nash match. Um and then after that, you know, the outsiders are just, they're just a baby face tag team. You know, I, 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 I think, I think Nash and Hall as a tag team were greater than some of their parts because all Nash can do is a hot finishing sequence. <laughs> and all Hall doesn't have is a hot finishing sequence. Mm. They clearly have bags of chemistry together. They clearly like each other a lot. Um, I, I just think they're like the perfect tag team. They come across as stars. They're larger than life. Um, you know, de- these guys, no, I, I have no no issue with them having hot. No, they held the titles from this point until WCW died. You know, whatever, fine. The problem was is they barely defended them. They were usually doing stuff uh, between um, separately, um, and there was no need for that. No, this could have been a great tag team run. No one thinks of the Outsiders as a great tag team because Hall and Nash both clearly thought the tag team titles were beneath them. They didn't want to be tag team uh, champ. They didn't want to be defined as a as tag team specialists. Um, because they 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 were paranoid that would make it seem like Hogan was a star, and they'd be like on and Tully to Hogan's flair. Um, but hey, hey, guess what, guys? You were <laughs> on and Tully to Hogan's <laughs> flair. Um, but I thought this match shows them at their best. Um, Hall again, selling was great. He he mm. he really made Hollum Heat look great. Um, like really naturalistic, bumping forum, selling stuff really, really well. Also, uh, Nash having to use the uh, the cane at the end to get the victory, you know, what I mean, behind the rest rack as well. So it was, you know, they were trying well, to show sort of like, you know, it wasn't an easy victory for him having to use a foreign object and everything. But, th- but, but this is a problem, isn't it? Because this is where. This, this is why so few tag teams have two people that make it to single stars afterwards because Hall's had to sell for 10 minutes and then Nash comes in to, to throw a cane having not taken any damage. Mm. And it's just like, well, what does that make Scott Hall look like? Now, this is all when, whenever you're looking at, and this is why tag teams are so difficult to book now. Whenever you're looking at tag teams, as in like, how can we split them for parts in the future? You're always going to end up with less effective tag teams because the tag team partners won't want to specialize in a setup guy and hot tag guy. Mm. 
Mm. But no, I, I thought it was great. Um, um, it's it, it is a it is an early sign about the weird politics that um, afflicts WCW when it comes to NWO because like this is a heel versus heel matchup, and mm. it's like this is way too early to be in a heel versus heel matchup. <laughs> you do realize, guys, that this is fake. You could have had had Harlem Heat lose to another tag team, so the NWO can beat a babyface tag team. Mm. Um, and, and then you turn Harlem Heat face so they can... I suppose the, the idea at this point is that anybody who's not NWO is WCW, aren't they? Whether you heal or you face, I suppose that's the idea. I'm, I'm sure that was the time, idea, yeah. but like it didn't work. It just ended up turning NWO face for half of the audience. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was good, it's good, good, good match. I mean, one of the things that did come across was which is not how I remembered it um, at the time. I know what should I book a T at the time when I got into wrestling It's my God, him and Stevie Ray were, were absolutely huge. Like for some reason, I kind of remembered Booker T being smaller than the guys that preceded him, mm. but he is every bit as uh, physically imposing as, um, as Hall and only a bit less than Nash. Yeah, and it should be. And we'll talk about this. We get to the next match. Hall bizarrely stays quite physically consistent during these matches. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure I remember reading somewhere that Hall Hall was less of a drinker on match days when he was on because he knew he wasn't a function a high functioning alcoholic. Whereas the likes of Nash were a bit more leery because they knew they could handle it better than he could. Mm. Because, like, Nash looks in amazing shape in this match. Like, he looks a million bucks. Like, he looked good in 1994, but he looks even better here. Mm. Like, there's actual muscle definition in his upper body. And the next match... I don't think that's true anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, the next match and the final match on the list is um, Kevin Nash got all in six against Roddy Piper, Ric Flair and Kevin Green, uh, the main event of Slumbery 97 from May the 18th in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this might seem like an odd match to pick on paper, a big WCW main event from 97 featuring an American footballer. But this was recommended to me in a few years back. And as much as it's not going to be bothering sort of like any greatest match of all time lists, I mean, it's tons of fun, I think. I mean, the crowd is absolutely molten for this, obviously, with it being in Charlotte, Ric Flair country, but then, you know, with the addition of Kevin Green, who was playing for the Carolina Panthers around this time. And also what's interesting, you know, all the crowd is in favour of Team WCW, whereas on most other events around this time period, the NWO might be over with the crowd, but this crowd hate them and, you know, want the good guys to win for it for a change over the NWO and just I mean it literally is like, oh, tag this person in, he gets his move in, tag this person in, have a bit of a brawl and stuff like that. But I mean, even when Kevin Green gets in to fire up and the crowd just goes absolutely insane at the thought of him, you know, taking on, you know, the big guy Kevin Nash and just tons of fun. You can tell like Flair's having the time of his life, you know, being back in his old stomping ground, you know. And just really, really fun match, I think. Um, and definitely, if you only see two matches out of the ones we've recommended, I'd reckon 
the action zone one and then this one just for like the crowd i mean if crowds make matches they definitely make this one because not a great deal happens other than sort of like you know them all tagging each other in and then the brawls and stuff like that there is even a you know, Piper knocks a ref out of one bit and we get a massive brawl and stuff, but the crowd is eating this up like nothing else. And I just, it just, I just always love just putting this on as like, sort of like, you know, leave your brain at the door, kind of like a big blockbuster movie and just like a real fun match, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I think people were absolutely crazy for this match. And I think it goes back to as good as the NWO angle was and as good a storyline it was it could have been so much better if they'd been able to plan it out a bit more and just have like various phases to it so like the nwo defeat the wcw baby faces then some of the wcw heels start to challenge the nwo and then finally, I know this technically isn't the Four Horsemen, but like, then finally the Four Horsemen are like the NWO's final boss. Mm. And then you get Sting, and then you get Goldberg, and then you get DDP. You know, like you, you know, you do something on on along those lines. Because like, yeah, this this match makes no sense. It is a stupid, stupid, stupid match. <laughs> but like. I think it was definitely a match just to pop that live crowd, wasn't it? It wasn't like had any forethought <laughs> or anything to it at all, but just lots of fun to watch in isolation. But yeah, the, the fans were absolutely loving it. I mean, I think the thing again, like I was looking at this very closely at Hall and Hall's uh, performances, but also uh, Nash's. Like Nash looks awful in this match. I mean, this is six months away from when he calls in sick because he thinks he's had a heart attack. And it's like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> one to talk. This is me throwing like a great, great big glass rock in a, a great big rock in a glass house. But like the amount Nash has aged in what would be what, eight months mm. is quite remarkable when you actually think about putting that Halloween Havoc match compared to this, the Slamboree match. Now, that's that's not normal. Um, I think Scott Hall, he is clearly more comfortable as a star now. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think you, you get the sense he was never actually very comfortable with the Race for Ramon gimmick, um, which is hilarious because you obviously get trolls saying when him and Nash came back, they should have came back as the WWF gimmicks. Yeah, but like you can, you can tell that as he gets to be himself, he's more comfortable. He's more comfortable being a character, a performer. Mm. So he is much more exaggerated, much more kind of um, uh, over the top, which does take away a bit from some of his selling. I don't know whether that's just because he's up against people who are also good sellers. So when you're up against people like a Kevin Nash, like a um, Shawn Michaels, who were never the most naturalistic sellers, um, the fact that he was quite good at selling stood out. But when you're up against a Ric Flair or a Roddy Piper, you know, you have to be really on your game for your selling to look impressive. Mm. But he definitely, he definitely was playing up to the crowd more. 
than in any of the other matches we've we've reviewed. And you gotta remember this guy is meant to be a um he's meant to be a heel in this match, so his playing up to the crowd should be relatively minimal. Um but no no he he is very over the top. It feels like a performance under the influence, if we're gonna be honest. Like, this does not feel like an evenly calibrated performance. Um, but it's a fun performance. You know, he, 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 it's really good. Like, could you get um, Sean Waltman in there? It, it feels like the NWO team doesn't know which of them is going to be the, the, the heel in peril. Mm. As stupid as a thing to say as that is. Yeah, so apparently like, um, Flair and Piper wanted Hogan in there and it was Nash and Hall who, who thought to have uh, one, uh, six in there. I, I honestly think it'd be a better match if Hogan was in there because right. then it'd be, it, it'd be cleared and then, that then it'd be Hall who was the heel in peril. Mm. And so you'd have a very clear dynamic. Whereas with this... It sometimes felt Hall and Waltman were stepping on each other's lines, right. or Waltman was kind of not necessary. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a very fun match. Uh, Kevin Green barely does anything. No, no. Um, what he does do is effective. I feel. No, no, it is, it is, yeah. and like Roddy Piper barely does more than Kevin Green. Mm-hmm. Like it is very much a. Oh yeah, Ric Flair. Yes, we know you started rest you you started wrestling twenty years beforehand. Um, um, but yeah, you're gonna have to take most of this match for your team. Mm. Um, and like, Flair's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> by the way, it has to be said. It has to be said a, a number of times. Is there anything more ugly than Flair's mid nineties haircut? No. <laughs> like, what on earth is that? <laughs> Indeed. I think the hair he has now <laughs> is better than that haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had a few shockers of haircuts in the in the night, especially that early night one. By the way, like is it like I I am a huge Ric Flair fan, you know. Amazing wrestler, best wrestler of all time in my opinion. But like my god, the even by wrestling standards, the the delusion that man has is off the charts. I don't know if you've seen, like, in his, I think it's his last show he did with Mark Madden before he fired Mark Madden slash Mark Madden quit. Um, um, that's a real alien versus predator scenario in terms of who you trust. Um, they were talking about how much Scott Hall revered Ric Flair. And it's just like, hang on, wait a minute. Rick, I've got your autobiography where you talk about how much you hate Scott Hall. I've seen many interviews of Scott Hall where Scott Hall talks about how much he hates you. In your autobiography, you talk about how much uh, Bischoff um, manipulated it so you all hated each other. Mm. Like, no, if, you know, if you guys made peace um, towards the end, you know, that's cool. That's fine. No, that's, that's quite natural. But let's not pretend that... Uh, you guys had a great great relationship um, in the mid nineties because we mm. all no we've all seen the receipts. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
But I suppose we've sort of like come to the end of sort of like the match portions of the show. But as far as like Hall's overall legacy, obviously we did have a lot of outpouring of emotion. It means a lot to a lot of different people in wrestling and, you know, and wrestling fans and stuff. But obviously, you know, in Neverworld Champion, you know, his Hall of Fame speech is probably one of the best ones. And it's also one of the shortest ones. Um, I mean, obviously it'll go down in history because the end of WO stuff, the ladder matches with Sean and that, and you know, he's definitely written himself into the into the history books. But as far as overall legacy goes, how do you feel um, you know, he'll be viewed in sort of like 10, 20 years' time? Um probably won't be remembered. No, I no, I disagree with that. Twenty no, years I, time. I, I no, I think the NWO stuff is gonna sort of like is going to stand the test of time just as far as angles and storylines and things in go. 20 years time though yeah, like that's a long definitely. time ago i mean how long did it already happen ago i mean they're still talking about it today but we're only but, talking like 30 years at this point i i don't know like I, it it feels to me that the nwo has became less salient the past 10 years as WWF, as sorry, WWE, has stopped pushing it in their releases as much as he once did. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if Scott Hall was still remembered 20 years ago because it's such a long time. You know, like, mm. you're then looking at what... Do you remember, it's what, it's now... You're now looking at it being 20, no, this year we 26 years since the NWO launched. So you had a 20 years onto this. That's 46 years. Mm. What wrestling promo is remembered after 46 years? Mm. You know, it's, you know, it, it, you know, it will be the Sheldon Graps kids. Do you think they will remember Scott Hall when they're older than us? Do mm. they even remember him now? Mm. But, that's, but that's fine, you know. Like you know, wrestling is isn't designed to last. It isn't designed to be remembered. One of the I think one of the problems with wrestling at the moment is everybody's too focused on being remembered. And not focusing enough on hitting the modern day, hitting what people need right now. Um, you know, in terms of his legacy, I, I think people are too quick to dismiss the idea he could have been a, a world champion. Like mm. I said, I think I think the, the only thing he was lacking was the big comeback. But like he never really had the chance to develop a big comeback because he so often worked heel in his earlier career. Um, WWF really gave him the chance to have a, a prolonged run as a champion, as like an intercontinental champion, where he really got to work on that. But you know, most of the stuff he needed to be a, a, a good babyface champion, he had. Um, he just needed to work on that last thing. I think the ladder matches. I I hope people look back on those matches and when they think of them and they think about how much more impactful the moves are and the offenses, they give credit to Hall and the, the work he does selling the offense. And there is a reason those matches feel more like a fight 
than the average ladder match now. And it's not just due to Shawn Michaels. Again, we're talking about Ric Flair. No, Ric Flair was completely out of line to say Shawn Michaels had, had the WrestleMania 10 ladder match with the ladder. Um, you know, that match only worked as well as it did because of of Scott Hall. Um, the NWO, I mean, like we said before, that, that initial promo, just, it, it is so perfectly pitched. Like, everything about it, the, you know, the referencing, the... The, the 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 Monday Night Ted skits, the mocking of WCW as a Southern promotion. Mm. It's 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 so good, and like so much of that early outsider stuff is really really smartly judged. And I and I think the sad thing is, is like so I I mentioned this earlier on in the podcast, which is um, Bruce Pritchard kind of became up again and said. You shouldn't have done the NWO when when they came back in 2002, which is absolutely right. They shouldn't have done the NWO because Hogan should have always came back to the WWF as Hulk Hogan. Um, people were ready for it. People wanted to like relive their childhood from the 80s and early 90s. But like, it's absolutely insane to say that uh, Nash and Hall should have been Diesel and Razor Ramon because they were gimmicks from a, a downtime in WWF. Um, th- they as themselves, as the outsiders, was a gimmick on the upswing in WCW, and it was a big gimmick. And I think one of the sad things is, is I think people have forgotten that the outsiders had a cachet as a name independent of the NWO. Like you had the NWO and you had the outsiders as part of the NWO, but the outsiders meant something. And you could have easily, again, in the same way in 1998, WCW could have made millions from a outsiders versus mega powers match far more than what they made from Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. Mm. WWE in 2002 could have made millions from a Outsiders versus DX match. Um, You know, even if that was to lead to Sean siding with with the Outsiders against Hunter, um, there was definitely more to do. but I, I think that, I think honestly the main thing with Hall is, and it's a bittersweet thing, is that it's good that he got to live to an old age. Mm. Like you think of all the deaths, all the tragedies we've had in wrestling um in the past 20, 25 years. You know, Scott Hall dying of a complication during an operation in his mid-60s. I don't think that's what most people have thought would be the way his story ended. I think most people thought his story would end in a much more tragic, horrible way. It's never nice when someone dies. Hats off to DDP, and and obviously, you know, he was heavily involved in that Jake the Snake documentary that I think is still available on Netflix. So, yeah, obviously, you know, it was 
you know, good to see that he'd come out of it on the other side. But um, I suppose moving away from that, and obviously it was good having you on this month, Will. I really appreciate you taking the time out and, and coming on and chatting, Scott. All. But um, as far as like other things outside of sort of like this show, what else have you you've got going on? Yeah, so um, I'm 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 now the co-host of the deep dive on Pro Wrestling Torch. Um, so congratulations, recent... thank you. Um, means I don't have to just talk about Brit Res, um, which <laughs> is which is good because I don't have anything to say about Brit Res. <laughs> um, um, despite random Twitter trolls accusing me of loving Brit Res, um, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so no. So like the most recent show we did was talking about Triple H and various of uh, various other things. Um, I I'll probably do one this weekend, just so much more of the WrestleMania weekend shows. So you can catch that. That is both a free a free show. So I have to remember not to swear, um, which I, <laughs> which obviously I never do when I'm on the on the to- on on post wrestling. Um, I also have uh, my Substack. It could be said, which I've just posted an article today talking about how. If you think the British economy is bad now, it could get much worse in a year's time. Oh, great. Uh, Fantastic. That's what we need. More bad news. Really. Um, <laughs> things are getting really, really bad. Um, and I also have my politics podcast, It Could Be Said, um, which you can find on all major uh, podcast feeds. And yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, Martin. It's, it's always great to talk to you. And we're all going to really miss you. And um, when you retire back in, you know, when you retire in August. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been great chatting to you again, again, Will. You know, you've always been a great guest when you come on these things with us. But um, yeah, as far as for me, obviously, four days to go until the live show, April 3rd, Leeds. Come hang out with us, you know, watch three live podcasts. It'll be BWE with me, Benno, Andy Ogden, and a few uh, guests. And then, um, up next with Davey Portman and then um, all the Grapple Lads will be having um, a live show as well. So, yeah, definitely go to grappleapp.com forward slash support and, yeah, and, and check everything out on there. And, uh, Will, thank you. Of course, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. You know, it's a busy, busy, busy week uh, for everyone on the site, you know, with all the WrestleMania stuff, all the stuff happening over there. So definitely keep your eyes peeled on, you know, with the variety of podcasts and all the written work that's going to be coming out of there. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, Andrew will be back with me and we'll catch you next time.